welcome to Going Out Your Door, the podcast to get you out your door and on the road. And I recently came back from the road, if that makes sense. Um, I did my overnight trip to Moab, Utah earlier this week. I went to Arches National Park and Canyonlands National Park. I do think it's funny. Arches is the one that everyone talks about. I didn't even know that Canyonlands was also right near Moab until I was looking at the map. And after going to both of them, I might like Canyonlands better. They're very different, but I was totally, totally blown away by Canyonlands. I got up at five o'clock in the morning to go see sunrise through the famous Mesa arch there where it like perfectly frames the sunrise and all that. It was super cloudy, didn't really have a great sunrise, but as the light increased you know that weird where it's not like an actual sunrise it just gradually gets lighter as it got lighter and suddenly we could see this view and it was like this enormous canyon just appeared out of nowhere and granted it's been a really really long time since I've been to the Grand Canyon so probably shouldn't compare to that but I was absolutely blown away by Canyonlands just totally totally incredible and Arches was amazing as well But I also didn't get to do several of the longer hikes that I really wanted to do because I went back later that day after seeing sunrise at Canyonlands and Arches was actually full. (laughs) They were full up with people and there was a sign saying, come back in three to five hours. I was like, well, I actually have to be on the road in three to five hours. So I didn't get to go back to Arches. I didn't see the delicate arch or any of like the really famous ones. I just did a couple of super short hikes that first day that I got there the day before. It had been raining when I got there, so I had even less time waiting for the rain to stop. It was a whole big thing, but Arches was also very cool. I did the Park Avenue, Park Avenue, I think it's called Park Avenue hike. It's the very first one at the park, um, and that was super easy, but just even that was totally stunning. So both are amazing, but I think Canyonlands is underrated and you should check it out if you go there. I've also heard because it's underrated that there's usually far fewer crowds there, so it might be a great option if you get um, out of luck at Arches like I did. But today we are not talking about national parks. We are not talking about road trips. We are talking about something completely, completely different. Student visas. A fantastic way to study abroad, to be in another country, be able to travel is to go as a student. I studied abroad in Vienna, Austria when I was in college for a semester. It was an amazing experience. I think most study abroad experiences are wonderful. Um, I was definitely that quintessential person always talking about their time studying abroad. That was me, still is me. So I highly, highly recommend it if you are of an age to study abroad. And actually, we're going to talk about it doesn't have to just be during your undergraduate degree. So there's many ways to get student visas throughout your life. So really, I think this applies to anyone. But if you are in college or a master's program or something like that, I do highly recommend taking advantage of doing it in another country. And this is maybe hard to generalize because every country has their own specific rules and requirements for the visa process and all of that, what you have to do to get it and maintain it and everything. But there are some overarching trends 
and just basic things that are required by most countries. So we're going to go through all of those as well as a few other things that you should know before and during the process and then talk about some specific countries where it's easier to get study abroad visas. Not that you should only do it where it's easier, but there are some countries that just make the process maybe a little bit more welcoming or a little bit more streamlined for students and that's always a plus. So you have this idea, this inkling that you might want to study abroad. I encourage you to explore that. Do research on different countries that you personally might want to go to, or maybe there are countries that would really facilitate what you're studying. You know, if I was studying music, so it totally made sense to go to Vienna, the home of Western classical music. So there are definitely certain places that will really further your own studies, but you also want to make sure that you're in a place that you think you will enjoy. So do your research, explore that country, the cities you might go to. If you are an undergrad or grad school, talk to people who've been to those places or done similar programs or enrolled in different international institutions. Just do as much research as as you can. Number one, because it's super fun to get all those juices flowing. That's an awful phrase that makes me uncomfortable. But, you know, to just get all your brain wires turning and going and everything to start planning your trip. It's always my favorite part is planning something. Um, Hopefully that's not just me. So really dig into that and figure out where you want to go. Maybe narrow it down to a couple different places or a few different schools within that country because the first step to getting a study abroad visa is actually getting accepted by an institution. So in addition to doing all of your own research when you're starting this process, like I totally recommend starting with whatever strikes your fancy and looking into those countries and those kind of programs. If you are an undergrad, your school very likely has a study abroad department that will help you with this. So that should be your next step is going to the study abroad department and seeing if they have any connections in countries that you're interested in, where people from your major or course of study typically go, if there's any connections like that, because this is what they do. They help people study abroad. They walk you through that process. So they are a really important resource throughout this whole process. So to sort of take a step back, studying abroad can be done in a couple of different ways. You can enroll directly in universities and schools in other parts of the world. So applying like as an international student, but applying just yourself to that university. There are also programs that are set up designed for students to study abroad. So that's what I did actually studying in Vienna. I did IES abroad. IES is International Education of Students, I think. (laughs) It sounds a little bit too straightforward, but they have locations all over the world. The one in Vienna is actually their original location. And that just meant that I wasn't attending an Austrian university. I was attending courses through this program. So all of the professors worked specifically for this program, and I was in class only with other international students, which is definitely, I mean, there's definitely pros and cons there. The pro is that I didn't have to speak fluent German because I didn't have to attend actual Austrian university classes, but it also meant that as much as I loved everyone, most most everyone <laughs> who was in my program, I was only with other international students and Americans at that. We were all Americans. So I didn't get to have any of that or, you know, as much of that sort of cross-cultural experience within the classroom itself. So there are pros and cons. 
And because they are this sort of program, they were really set up to help us through this process. So there was a lot more support, not from not just from my school, but from the program itself than there would have been if I was applying individually to a university. So you have to look at a lot of different things. Do you want to go through that process to be just a regular university student in another country? Do you want to be in a study abroad program? Lots of different things to look at. If you are an undergrad and your university has that study abroad department, they probably have relationships with different schools and programs around the world, which again, pros and cons. Um, I initially went into the process wanting to attend a different school that they did not have a relationship with. And the office told me that like, yeah, you can pursue this and we'll help you as much as we can, but we don't know anything about this school or this program, so we can't really give you a leg up in any way. And so that was ultimately why I ended up applying to the program that they did have a relationship with because many people from my school had already gone there and people at my school knew the facilitators at the program. And so it was just much easier than if I had tried to do a totally different school or program. But it does mean that you're a little bit limited if you want to go that route by the schools and the programs that your school has a relationship with. I feel like I'm just repeating all the same words in a different order, but I think you get what I mean. It almost feels counterintuitive to me, like you need permission to go to the country before you can apply to the school, but it's actually the other way around. You need to apply and be accepted by a school or a program before you can apply for your visa. So number one, figure out where you want to go. Number two, apply and fingers crossed you will get accepted. Number three, then we can start the visa application process. So you apply for a visa by yourself. This is not something that the program helps you with. I mean, they can provide assistance or information, but it has to be filed and submitted by you to the consulate of the country that you are going to. So this is sort of like a little detour outside of the program and something that you're doing directly with the government of the country that you're going to itself. So we've talked about consulates and embassies before. They are like the representative of countries in other countries. So when I was applying to study in Austria, Vienna, Austria, I applied to the Austrian consulate in, I think I applied to the New York one, not the DC one. There might be multiple consulates. That's okay. You just have to apply to like the closest one, (laughs) but all that information will be given to you. So basically you're telling the consulate, Hey, I've been approved to study in your country. Here's a lot of information about me and some money. Please officially give me permission to do so. So here's everything you need to get your student visa. So again, this is where it varies a little bit. Different countries might have different requirements for what they need to issue you your visa. But in general, you will need, of course, your passport. This is another one of those situations where it has to be valid not only until the end of your study abroad program, but also usually for another five or six months after that. I've talked about that before. I think it's really frustrating that your passport expires like five or six months earlier basically than it technically does because they always want that buffer zone. But make sure you have a valid passport for the duration of your program plus a little bit longer. You are going to have to mail your passport in. If you're applying by mail, you will have to send it to the consulate, which is always a little bit nerve-wracking for me. I don't like sending my passport through the mail. I don't like being without my passport. Uh, Stresses me out a little bit, but that is a totally normal part of the process. You are going to have to give it to the consulate. 
You also need to include the acceptance letter from your school or organization that you have been accepted to. It has to contain certain details like the hours of classes that you're enrolled in, whether it's a full-time program or 10 hours a week or whatever. It usually also has to include information about the tuition tuition and maybe your housing situation, whether they're providing housing. There will be certain details that the consulate for your country that you're going to uh, want to see in that acceptance letter. And that's all totally normal. Schools are used to dealing with the study abroad process, so they know to put those details into your information that you get. Number three, you are also probably going to have to provide your bank account information. This is another one that I don't like. You have to print out a bank statement and make sure you cross out all of your account numbers and all of that stuff, but you have to show proof that you can pay your tuition and support yourself while you are studying in their country. This is definitely a little bit like classist or, you know, whatever you want to call it, that you have to be in a certain economic level to study abroad. I don't think that's appropriate, but that is something that the consulate is going to want to see. Also, I stick in at this point, many study abroad programs and schools offer financial aid in the same way that national organizations do. So you might be able to get financial aid through your program that you are enrolling in as well. So just make note of that. Number four, you also might need your fingerprints. Uh, They might want to do background checks, criminal record, all that stuff, so you might have to get fingerprinted as part of your application. You will definitely need to include photos, passport photos, but passport photos are not universal around the world, so different countries have different requirements for the size of the photos and like how how big your head has to be and what you know what you can be wearing in the photo and all of that. So definitely check for the country that you are applying for too. Um, I will say in my experience that America actually has the weirdest size passport photos. I think in all the other countries that I've gotten visas for, they've been smaller and they've been basically or closer to the same size in other countries. And then America just has these like really wide square photo requirements. So definitely check that, but you will need to get photos taken for your visa. You are also going to have to pay a fee. You're going to have to pay a visa processing fee And it can be pretty pricey depending on your scale for these things. It's usually a hundred to a few hundred dollars to get a visa, which is annoying. That will have to be included in your application as well. And then there's many other things that they might require depending on your country, including your birth certificate or your diploma. If you have any other diplomas, you know, if you're in an advanced program or master's degree, it might be your undergrad diploma or transcripts or other certifications that you have. Some programs require that you have travel insurance. And sometimes to get a student visa, you have to do an interview at the consulate. This is not universally true. I didn't have to do that. I was living in very, very, very rural Maine, and I did not want to travel down to New York or Washington, D.C., where the Austrian consulates are, and luckily that was not required for my program, so I didn't have to do that, but sometimes you do have to go and apply in person and do an interview. So it is a lot of things that you have to pull together, but overall, I think most of them are pretty standard. There's nothing like crazy, wacko, off the wall. This is normal for most kinds of visa processes. So just make sure that you have all of this stuff prepared before you apply for your student visa. 
So here's just some other random info that I couldn't really categorize that you will need to know before or during your application process for a student visa or just some other random facts about studying abroad. Your visa will take a bit to be issued to you. It could be as short as a few weeks, but it might be as long as a few months before you get your passport back with that visa in it. So just really plan ahead throughout this entire process. Other fun fact, many student visas, many countries that issue student visas, allow you to work while you are there. It's usually a limited number of hours per week, usually like 10 hours per week, and sometimes there are other stipulations, like it has to be on campus or you can only have certain jobs, but some just let you have any job in the country that you can get as long as it's under a certain number of hours. So that is really, really great. And if you're going to a country that allows that, totally take advantage of it. I mean, 10 hours a week is not much, but it does let you earn some income Uh, for your life while you're living in this other country. And something that you should know that I did not realize well enough when I studied abroad in Vienna, your visa will last for the duration of your program. So if you're studying abroad for a semester, your visa is probably going to expire like a couple days after your program ends. I can't imagine they would do it right on the last day or the day after because you need time to like pack up and leave the country. My first time really living abroad in another country in Vienna, I did not understand what a visa was or the importance of it or that they would check it when you are leaving the country. And I just casually decided to overstay my visa because I didn't feel like leaving Austria. Luckily, I did not have any repercussions from that, but that looking back on it now was so much more information and experience. That was a terrible gamble and I could have been banned from Austria or from the EU for, you know, any number of months or years. So just be aware of that. You you can only stay in the country as long as your student visa lasts for. You may be able to get extensions for various reasons, but just be prepared for that ahead of time. Don't do what I did and just think like, oh, this is really nice living abroad. I'm just going to stay because no one has asked to see my visa yet, so I doubt I'll get in trouble. That was not a great decision on my part. Thing to note number four. I mentioned this at the beginning, your student visa or student visas in general don't necessarily have to be for traditional like collegiate programs like undergrad or grad school or PhD or whatever. You can often get a student visa just for enrolling in like a course or a certification or a language degree or something like that. So this is where you can really take advantage of the process if you're not a traditional college student. I had a friend when I was living in Ireland, she was from another country and had been living in Ireland, I think for several years at that point, definitely a couple of years, just continuing to take English language classes over and over and over again. Her English was perfect. Her English was probably nearly perfect when she arrived in Ireland already, but she was using this as a way to stay in the country. She was enrolled in the bare minimum of classes, you know, probably in class like 10 hours a week. She was also able to work on her student visa. So she had a job at a local like chocolate shop, which was fantastic. Um, So this is where you can really use the student visa as a way to legally stay in a country. And you're also learning some skill or some something in your classes, hopefully at the same time. But that being said, you can't just enroll as a student and then, you know, mess around and do whatever you want because you are continued to be monitored while you are a student. A lot, if not all, 
uh, countries that issue student visas have requirements for you once you are studying in the country. So like attendance, you have to attend all of your classes or at least a very high percentage of your classes. Often you have to maintain a certain GPA in your classes as well. So they are definitely making sure that you're not just getting the visa and entering the country and then doing whatever you want. You do actually have to meet certain requirements as a student. But that being said, you can definitely use this as a way to get in the country, make sure you meet all those requirements, and then live your life or enjoy yourself while you're there, definitely. Number five thing to know, studying abroad for undergrad or grad school or any other like official college degree that you want to get anyway could save you money, especially if you are from America. American colleges and universities are notoriously expensive. I looked this up. The average cost is $35,000 per year, which comes out to $140,000 for your four years of undergrad. And that's the average. So yes, there are some that are lower, but there are also many that are far, far higher. So by studying abroad, leaving the country, if you are an American, you could actually save yourself quite a bit of money because college is generally less expensive around the world. I did find this a little bit hard to confirm in research. There were some, you know, like amazing wanderlusty articles that were like, here's how cheap you can study abroad in other countries. Like this one from Business Insider called, here's what college costs in 28 countries around the world, talks about how expensive American education is and then says that in Australia you can study abroad for about five thousand US dollars a year in Austria for less than a thousand dollars a year um, then they have you know Canada Chile Denmark Denmark for zero for free Estonia for free Finland for free Germany for free Hungary for less than a thousand dollars so they're really quoting these amazing amazing prices And then on this site called educationdata.org, and this was from 2021. The Business Insider one was from 2018. So there is a little bit of difference in reporting data there, but I doubt that would make a huge difference. So educationdata.org says that in Germany, it's anywhere from free to $35,000, Denmark $8,000 to $21,000, Spain, um, $800 to $28,000. So these are huge, huge variations, and only a few of them are as inexpensive as the Business Insider article quoted. And I saw these kind of disparities in many, many other articles that I looked at. So it's hard to pin, it's hard for me to pin down exactly what tuition might be around the world, but generally it is less expensive than it is in America. You also want to note that many colleges will charge higher tuition for international students. And unfortunately, many of these are the ones that are on the list of places where it's easiest to study abroad. But some countries that don't charge higher tuition for international students are Chile, Belgium, France, Israel, Italy, Japan, Korea, Greece, Norway, and Spain. So in those countries, you will be paying the typical price for any citizen of that country as well, which is fantastic. So you might remember that many of those countries, both in the Business Insider article and this educationdata.org site, 
said that college was free, zero dollars. So we're going to look at Germany just a little bit closer because Germany is a really popular place to study abroad. And uh, I don't know about you, but I want to find out how to go to school for free in Germany. So Germany actually offers free tuition at its public universities. Also, you know, pay attention to public versus private because that's going to be a difference as well. But at public university, Germany offers free tuition even for people who are outside of the EU. So this applies to all of us, which is lovely. Germany is so considerate. They do require more documentation than I cited at the beginning. In Germany, they actually require you to have language proficiency. So you have to meet certain requirements of speaking German language well enough to attend college there, even though many universities and classes are offered in English, but they want to make sure that you can get by in their language. So in that case, you do have to have a certified test at level DSH2 or evidence of 1,000 to 1,200 hours of German instruction. You also have to provide uh, your own health insurance, transcripts from your school, academic qualifications, and proof of financial resources to cover other expenses, which are similar to everything that we talked about in the beginning for your application. And even though tuition is technically free at public universities, many schools do require this like semester fee, which this site says is about what a U.S. student would pay for one textbook in a semester at a U.S. university, which might not be unsubstantial because American textbooks are crazy expensive, but still paying for one book versus paying for entire tuition and room and board in the U.S. is still a very big difference. So this semester fee for German universities covers a public transportation pass for the student, which is incredible. So you're paying it, but you're also getting a public transportation pass. For example, the summer 2021 semester fee for the University of Cologne is 282 euros, so about $300 per semester, which I think any of us who have attended university or are considering attending university in America can agree is a bargain. They also break down other expenses that you might have if you were attending this University of Cologne in Germany. So your tuition is free. You have this about $300 fee per semester. They also cite health insurance, although you have to provide your own. So this might just be a guesstimate as to what you would be paying for your own insurance, but about $1,000 rent and utilities might be about $5,000 food, about $2,500 travel expenses, less than $1,000 books and course material about 300, personal about 1,000, and then your flights about 3,000. So living abroad, living anywhere, frankly, is going to cost, you're going to be paying for things like your own incidentals and travel and food and all of that, but that would also be the case anyway. In an American university, you'd be paying for room and board, which is a substantial fee as well. So this is still, even with a few several hundred dollar or a couple thousand dollar expenses, I still think you are coming out far ahead in terms of finances if you are studying abroad in Germany or many of these other countries as well. Another thing to note, though, is that some colleges can be really, really sneaky when you want to study abroad. For example, this is what my school did, and I do not approve of it. I was really excited that I was going to go abroad and... You know, I was excited for many, many reasons, but one small part of that was like, hey, I'm going to save a substantial amount of money because the study abroad program I'm going to is a fraction of the price of a semester tuition fee at my university. 
my school had this policy in place where you did not pay your study abroad fee directly. Instead, you paid your tuition as you usually would at the school, and then the school paid for you to study abroad. So I did not receive any kind of deal or financial break for attending a much less expensive study abroad program. I still had to pay tuition. So some things like that can be really sneaky. I think that's very shady and should not be allowed, but policies like that do exist. So you just want to be prepared for that and not think that you're getting a great deal that you're not actually going to get. So just rounding this out with a short list of the easiest countries to get a study abroad visa in, this is because these are very, very popular countries, so it seems like they've streamlined streamlined the process quite a bit. They are used to dealing with tons of international students, so you probably won't encounter crazy curveballs in the application or the study abroad process in these countries. And I compiled this list from a ton of different sites. I just looked at like a dozen of them and chose all of the countries that made it on most of the lists. We have Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Ireland, the UK, Germany, and then honorable mention to Singapore and Brazil, which were on a couple of lists as well. So if those are any countries that you are interested in studying in or taking a course or learning a language or anything like that, I highly recommend that you explore studying abroad. I know for me doing it in my undergrad, it's so it's so stereotypical to say it was a life-changing experience. Everyone goes away for their life-changing study abroad and comes back talking about when I studied abroad. But it's so, so true. It really opens your eyes in a different way than traveling. I mean, we all know I love traveling. I love visiting places. But staying there for an extended period of time and immersing yourself in a way, you're meeting other people, you're meeting people from that country, other international students in your classes. It really is an incredible, eye-opening, valuable, life-changing experience. So I highly recommend it. And like I said, in many countries, it's open to all of us. You know, even if you're my age, you're in your 30s now, you can enroll in some sort of degree program or language course or something like that. So I really think it's something that we should all explore and I might explore it again in the future. I would love to hear about your study abroad experience. Do you have anything crazy to share that happened while you were studying abroad? Are you considering it? Do you have any questions that I could help answer or help explore? You can send any of those stories or questions or thoughts or concerns to goingoutyourdoortravel at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at goingoutyourdoor and on Twitter at goingoutyour. And until next time, we'll be back with more of our tips and tricks and travel insights and talking about other places and all the stuff that I love on going out your door. 